You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We're starting a brand new series, still covering the theme of miracles as we have started this off this January of this year. It's called The Road Out. I'd like first to turn your Bibles for a while to, to the book of Exodus. So that's Exodus chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 all the way down to verse 9. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. All right, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." All right, let me get into this now. Let me just look into the context for a while. You folks know this, right? Every single one of us acknowledge or know the story of Moses when after 40 years, you know, he encountered God in a bush that wasn't being consumed by fire in the place called Midian. Moses' encounter with a burning bush. I don't know with you, but if you ask me, despite the fact that we're so familiar with this passage that we have here today, we do understand that it was a great spiritual moment right? For Moses to encounter a bush which wasn't consumed by fire, I would say is a great spiritual encounter. That was the time that the Lord spoke to him. The Lord introduced himself. The Lord disclosed his character to Moses at the plains of Midian. So this great spiritual moment that he had was something that he was bringing with him together with the message that God has through Moses for the people of Israel and to Pharaoh. I just want to make sure that you understand this specific part right here. So what could be a great spiritual moment for us? For instance, perhaps for some of you, you've encountered something like this. Perhaps you're coming off from a prayer meeting that was like a revival or something like that, a great spiritual moment. Or it could be like a campus conference that you went to Manila or you went to the States or wherever. And you knew for a fact that that was a great spiritual moment for you because the Lord has spoken to you. Or I think this is something that all of us or many of us can relate. Perhaps we might be talking about your victory weekend. I don't know with you, after, right after my victory weekend, I really felt like I can conquer the world. When the pastor says, change the campus, change the world, it's like, all right, it's going to happen in my generation. That was a great spiritual moment. So in the same way, coming from an encounter with a burning bush, God in the burning bush, Moses had a great spiritual moment. So coming from that great spiritual moment, with great, I would say, 
great urgency and great excitement and great expectation. He was bringing with him the message that God had first and foremost for the people of Israel and the message that he had for the Pharaoh, which was, let my people go, right? So that was, he was bringing, he was coming in as a messenger, okay, not just out of the blue, but coming from a great spiritual moment. So he was bringing that with great urgency and excitement. Now, here he is, after several decades, once again, he comes face to face with Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh his experience at Midian, and he tells Pharaoh the very message that the God of Israel, the creator of heavens and earth, has for him, and that is to let his people go. So here's the question. I'm giving you the context because this is in Exodus chapter 5. So in response to that, what did Pharaoh say? Okay, was Pharaoh like, oh really? Okay, if that's the case, tomorrow you can go and depart Egypt. Was that something that Pharaoh said? Nope, I don't think so, right? What Pharaoh basically told him, right? Yeah, right. All right, yeah, right. Okay, here's what's gonna happen. You folks, you Israelites, you guys are lazy people. You guys are lazy people, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to double the quota for the day. Let's put it this way. If the quota is 5,000 pesos in sales, now it's going to be 10,000 pesos in sales. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, Pharaoh, you know, basically didn't buy what Moses had to say, but instead, he lambasted Moses and the rest of the Israelites by telling them that they're lazy, and because of that, you're going to have to do double the work. So I want you to understand this. This is very important. Coming from a spiritual moment, coming from an encounter with God, knowing for a fact that God spoke to him, he goes to that field in what? In obedience to what God said. And this is what Pharaoh tells him. Anyone here has experienced something like this? You knew for a fact that you really heard from the Lord and you're obeying God. The moment in the course of obeying the Lord, you encountered bigger troubles than before. I would say that many of us have encountered something like that. Two days ago, Chris, when we were in the campus, he was so excited. He was telling us, hey, you know what? I was able to invite an entire freshman student class, an entire class. You're going to have lunch with us. As an upper class, I don't know what he did. I don't know if he threatened them or what. But nonetheless, every single student in this entire class basically agreed with him that they're going to have you know, lunch with ENC people, stuff like that. And it was like 11 in the morning, so when we were there, and then at 11.20, he told us they're not coming because there's going to be a class and stuff like that. And the same situation basically happened Friday evening. Our freshman class promised him we're going to go with you, and they didn't show up, all right? So it's like, you know that you're obeying the Lord, you know that you heard from the Lord, and then here's what happened, and everything simply gets deflated. That is basically the cons of the story we have here, found in Exodus chapter 5. So here's what happened. Look at this. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 21, here's what the people of Israel told Moses. When the Pharaoh told that the, the work's going to be double, here's what they said. And they told Moses, may the Lord look on you and judge you, Moses. All right? May the Lord look on you and judge you, Moses. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In short, in Tagalog or in Bisaya pa, Moses, pabida ka kasi. Look what you've done. Instead of being of help to us, now you've caused us so much trouble. 
So now, you have the Pharaoh who was now eyeing Moses, looking at Moses, and you have the entire Israelite community who was basically angry with him. Now, let's go to the text that we have here. Now, what was Moses' response? Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. Here is what happens. Then, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to these people, and you have not delivered your people at all. I want us to look at the tone of this, what Moses was saying here. I want to ask this question. I need you to answer. Here's my question. Did Moses complain to God? What do you think? All right, fair enough. I would say that yes, he did complain to God just by looking at those words. He even tells God, Lord, I said, why have you done evil to these people? So you would see that he has two questions. Why did you ever send me? Now he starts doubting his calling. He starts doubting the purposes of God. He asks two questions and he delivers one complaint. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to these people, and you have not delivered your people at all. All right? Friends, this is trouble or suffering or difficult circumstances in the course of obedience. You folks know this, right? When you suffer, your suffering can either be providential or consequential. Minsan, you suffer kasi matigas lang talaga ulo mo. You suffer kasi you disobeyed. Right? But sometimes, in the course of obeying the Lord, you still suffer. Are folks with me? In the course of obeying the Lord, you still suffer. And that's basically what was happening here. So the question now here is this, did Moses complain to God? And unanimously, all of you answered based on the text that the answer is yes. He did complain to God. Let's try to look into that now. Let me just expand the question further. Did Moses complain to God? Yes. Most probably he did, based on this. My next question is, is it ever okay to complain to God? Is it ever okay to complain to God? Some of you are thinking, uh, yes and no. What do you think? I would say yes. Because I see that in biblical characters. I would also say no, because I remember what happened to the Israelites when they started complaining to God. Right? The 40-day walk became 40 years. So it's kind of like, did Moses complain to God? Yes, he did. Is it ever okay for us, for all of us, to complain to God? The answer could be, I, I'm not going to give you a blanket answer, because your relationship with God is your relationship with God. But here's what I want to tell you. Job did. Job did. Habakkuk did. Moses, in this instance, did. David did. So, a lot of times we say, it's okay for me to complain to God because people in the Bible, they complain to God. That's good. But I want us also to understand that we have to look at God's response to their complaints. If you want a pattern for your life in terms of murmuring and complaining, Filipinos as we are, sino sa inyo parang marami kayong complain pag gutom kayo? Right? Mainit ang ulo natin pag gutom tayo. When things are inconvenient, sometimes we love to murmur and complain. You look at the story of Job, you look at the story of Habakkuk, you know, I, I simply took Habakkuk's word. Here's what happened. He had a complaint 
against God. And you know what happened? God spoke up. All right? You have a complaint. You're murmuring. The moment he heard God speaking up, here's his response. Look at this. In Habakkuk chapter 3, 16, I hear. He says, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enter into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Biblical characters express their dismay or complain to God, but they don't end their time wherein they keep complaining to the Lord. Because when you are in the table of communion and conversation with God, you will not leave the table discouraged still. So it's like a yes and a no. We see that they pattern, but at the same time, we can't keep on complaining. It's kind of like being anxious initially is not a sin, but if you keep being anxious, it becomes a sin because it's now a picture of unbelief. So for Moses here, we see that he starts complaining to God. But here's what I want us to understand. Here's what I want us to understand. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, look at this one. It says here, Moses turned to the Lord. When hope was deferred, when expectation was not met, when in the course of obedience, he encountered mockery, when in the course of loving his people and obeying the call of God, this is what he encounters from a group of people who was insulting him, and in the course of obeying God, he receives his word from Pharaoh. The Bible says, I want you to understand this, he did not turn against God. He didn't turn against God. But instead, as we understand, all the more, he turned to God. Anyone over here who has some unanswered prayer? You've been praying for the tongue. Ah, Lord, the Lord has not been answering my prayer. You know what's worse? Your friend in church prayed for perhaps the specific thing for just three weeks. The Lord answered her prayer. If you look at the life of Moses, it's basically telling us that at the end of the day, and I want to speak to all of your hearts right now, because I know that at one point in your life, you will encounter this when situations in your life appear to contradict God's promises. I want to encourage everyone to keep turning to the Lord instead of turning against God and abandoning God. You don't walk away from church just because your prayers were not answered. Amen? At the end of the day, when you look at your life, when your academics is failing, when there's no promotion at work, when the house is still so toxic, after seasons of prayer, when the Lord doesn't heal you for two weeks of coughing, turn to the Lord still. We turn to the Lord still. You pray for healing. Healing doesn't come. You look at your life and sometimes you tell the Lord, can we just remove these temptations away from me? And you find yourself over and over again in the same scene. The past couple of years, we take the cue from Moses. We turn to the Lord still. Amen? All right. What's the backdrop? Heavier burdens and greater discouragements. Heavier burdens. Parang ganito pa yan. May burden ka, tapos nagpe-pray ka, Lord, pakitanggal ng burden na to. After mo mag-pray, dumoble yung burden. <laughs> Magkasalungat. Sabi ng staff, ang tawag daw dyan, pag hindi nagkakaintindihan, AMFM. Heavier burdens, greater discouragement. It's like, teka lang, parang may nararamdaman akong bukol, pero pag natin to, nag-prayer meeting tayo, tapos pagdating mo sa doktor, yun pa rin yung balita. Lumaki pa rin yung bukol. Nagmetastasize yung cancer. So against this backdrop, here's the question now. What does God do? What does God do? I've outlined three things that God did. And I'm going to count on the second one. 
Um, basically, here's what God did. Number one, the Lord reiterated to Moses his present commitment. Secondly, the Lord reminded Moses of his past covenant promises. And thirdly, we would see that the Lord reassured Moses of his future faithfulness. You know what I love about this? If you look at the story of Exodus chapter 6, you will conclude one thing. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Alpha and Omega. It's like, you folks love books? You have books at home? And everyone here loves reading? Like, if you don't have a book stand, your books, they fall off the shelf. And this one is like, God is putting bookshelves. He was like telling Moses, okay, you have a problem? Look what I did in the past. Look what I'm doing now. Look what I'm doing in the future. Let's squeeze it all together. Let's make it so tight. That's basically what God is doing here. The Lord reiterated to Moses his present commitment. Now, here's my question. What was his commitment? What was his commitment? What was his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? A land, right? A land. He called Abraham from the earth of the Chaldeans. And at that very onset, he starts talking about numerous people. He starts talking about land. In fact, you know, this: a land flowing with milk and honey. And then here we are, we are enslaved by the Egyptians, enslaved by the Egyptians. So what was his commitment? I am going to set the Hebrews free. That's his commitment. In short, he's going to bring about deliverance. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will send them out and with a strong hand, he will drive out of his land. Did I tell you a while ago that Moses had two questions? He had two questions, right? He had two questions and one complaint. It's interesting because if you look at this, Moses was asking questions, but God, as we understand here, didn't answer him, but simply told him, look at verse 1, now you shall see. Now you shall see. That's what God says. That's what God says. In essence, what we have here is God saying, that when I commit something, it's a commitment with actions. You folks believe this? It's a commitment with actions. It was like saying, you have a lot of questions and all of these things, so here's what I want to tell you. You'll see. Just watch. Just watch. Watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do. And then the second one, the Lord reminded Moses of his past covenant promises. Of his past covenant promises. You folks were married here. Do you have that conversation with your wife or with your husband when you encounter some like problems, perhaps with tuition of your kids and you're running out of funds maybe? Or let's say you got into a heated discussion, right? And then you're like, sweetheart, we don't have money for next week. We don't have money for tuition. Then what do you do? Sometimes you are reminded of what God did five years 20 years, 15 years ago. Sweetheart, remember when we got married, all we had was a rice cooker. That's it. And remember how the Lord provided for us. Remember when we had our first car. Remember when we were at the ER and stuff like that. In essence, this is basically what God was telling Moses. Moses, wait, you're becoming so panicky. You're becoming so anxious. Let me remind you of what I did in the past. Let me remind you.
remind you of what I told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love the fact that, look at this verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There it is. He pulls the big three card. He pulls the name Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So every time you encounter these words in the Old Testament, you encounter the words Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's short of God reminding you something and it's reminding you of His faithfulness. Because basically every single one of them, they recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and they know their story. So the very first thing that God tells Moses is, number one, I am the Lord. Pharaoh is not the Lord. I am the Lord. I appeared. He brings out the name Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He pulls out the big three. And here's what I love. I look at this, and this is really interesting. This is really interesting because he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Look at this one. As God Almighty. You have to embrace this. Look at this. I appeared to these three guys, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as God Almighty. But says, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. You know what God was essentially saying? You will know me way better and further than how those three guys do me. Moses, I am the Lord. I am going to reveal a facet of my character that even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had never known about me. This is what we have. The word appeared here is the word was sin. Is the word was sin. So it's like God was saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they have sinned me. And mind you, every time you talk about these three patriarchs, you think about promises. Pag na-encounter niya ang pangalan ni Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's always connected to promises. So now, to encourage Moses, he mentions them the name of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to remind Moses that he's the God who made these promises to his forefathers. Going back, he says, I appeared to them as God Almighty. That's interesting. When you look at the word God Almighty here, it's basically the word El Shaddai. It's basically the word El Shaddai. I mean, you look at the word El Shaddai, in its simplest term, El basically is the generic word for God. All right? Sha, in its original Hebrew, is like the. Dai, in this sense, means sufficient or enough. So when, when God says, I appear to them as El Shaddai, I appear to them as I am the God who is enough. I am enough. So he tells Abraham, you have problems. You have problems, Jacob. You have problems, Isaac. I am enough. I am sufficient. He appears to them as El Shaddai, the God who is sufficient. Let me pause here for a while. Who am I here embraces the fact that God is sufficient for you? That sometimes in the course of my walk with God, there are uttered or unuttered prayers that are answered or unanswered, but nonetheless, the Lord is enough. God appears to them that it's like for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when they have problems, God is sufficient. When I encounter problems, God is sufficient. For example, when you say El Shaddai, it's basically saying, I am tired, God will give you rest. 
I am hungry, God will give you food. I am thirsty, God will give you drink. That is what it means that God is enough. So it was like telling Moses, I am El Shaddai. I am enough. I am the God who is sufficient. But look at these friends. Now he tells Moses to you, my friend. No wonder he was called the friend of God. To you, you will not just know me as El Shaddai. You will know me as L-O-R-D. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You will know me as Yahweh. In essence, he tells them that you're going to know me as Yahweh, which is, he's not just the sufficient God, the God of enough, but he's the God who transcends. He's the God who transcends. God is going to let them know that he's not just the enough God. He's not just the enough God, but rather, more than just the enough God, he's the God who transcends limitations. In short, when you look at this, he was basically telling Moses that I am not just the God of felt needs. I am not just the God of felt needs. Felt needs are your momentary needs. Your need for funds, your need for food, your need for tuition. He is way more than that. He transcends limitations. He says, I am Yahweh. And not just El Shaddai. I'm bigger than how you understand me. I'm bigger than just answering your felt needs. Let me explain it this way. What do we call this book? We call it the book of Exodus, right? In the Hebrew, it's not just called the book of Exodus, but this is actually called the book of redemption. What he's doing with Moses is, he was basically telling Moses that there is a facet about him that can only be known through redemption. Great Adam, he knew me, Enoch, all of these guys, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but Moses, you will know a facet of me, way deeper than those folks, no disrespect to them, but this can only be known through redemption. There's going to be an intimacy in our relationship because of redemption. Because of redemption. And I love this. In essence, God was like telling Moses, they knew me as El Shaddai, but you will know me through a certain special way. See, here's what I want you to understand. God can be known, at least in their context, God can be known depending on how He reveals Himself to them and how the Lord interacts with you or how the Lord deals with you. So now, there's a specific way at which Moses and the rest of the Israelites will know God, and it is through redemption, which is found here in the book of Exodus. They knew me at a certain manner, but you will know me in a different way. So that's why, look at this, look at verse 4. I also established my covenant with them, and gave them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live as sojourners. So here is basically what we have. Whenever you talk about redemption, it's really trivial for us to understand and look at the word land and sojourners. God was like telling them, what was my promise? What was my promise? My promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was what? Land. Right? You, you folks get this? Yes, it's land flowing with milk and honey. There were so many intricacies and complexities along the way, but the promise of God was land. And it was like, right now, 
you are in a land wherein you are what? What's a sojourner? You're a transient. You're not from here. I'm not from Dumaguete. But I've been here 21 years. I mean, it's transitory. If you are a sojourner, what does it mean? You don't have a community. You're not one of the people. In short, in Dumaguete term, you're not lumad. So the promise is land. The promise has always been land. So in essence, let me just diagram this for a while. He was saying that you are going to be sojourners. You are sojourners, but I'm going to give you a land. Right? But to give you the land, redemption has to happen. Are you folks following? And this is always by way of a covenant. It's always by way of a covenant. So God then will establish intimacy with them. And this is all tied up with the land. This is where God wants them to be. And right now, the situation is they are groaning, they are suffering. Groaning is an expression of suffering, right? And God answers them through what? Through redemption. In short, I am going to redeem you. God says, I'm going to redeem you. And guess what? He will respond based on, as a friend? No, 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 no. He will respond to the Israelites based on the terms of the covenant. That's why this is by way of a covenant. What is the point? We say that, all right, long story short, you know this, right? Were they successful in getting into the promised land? They were. So now, let me go to the third one. The Lord reassured Moses of his future faithfulness. Think about this land. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Look at this. So, bring you out. I will deliver you and I will redeem you. You see those three words? Bring you out. Redeem you. Deliver you. With what? How? With an outstretched arm. In its original Hebrew is the word Zeroah, which is what? Outstretched arm here is connected to the Messiah. If you go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, look at this one. The Lord said, this was prior to all of these events. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a, come on now, into a good and spacious land. What we have here was, they're talking about land. Tayo, inisip natin, title, lupa, okay, fine. Kasama na yan. But the wide space at which the Lord brings us or, or brings us into by way of deliverance is actually through the outstretched arm of the Messiah. At yung wide space na po is our salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. You read the Bible, it's not just talking about geography. It's talking about something more because at the end of the day, the bigger need is not a corn. The bigger need is not a property. The bigger need is the salvation of our soul. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.